Our message this morning is titled, Images of the Cross. We've just sung the old rugged cross and those words certainly capture an image for us that uh, we, especially on this day, are able to to recall and, and, and reflect upon. Now those of you who have been part of our regular church family, we know that uh, we have spent 10 weeks in uh, John chapter 18 and 19. Now that's quite a long time, uh, just on, on two chapters, but there is so much in it, right? So these two chapters are all about events leading up to and including the crucifixion, from the arrest of Jesus in the garden right up to his crucifixion. At the same time, we could say that the whole of the Bible is about the cross as it looks forward to this universal event. All of the prophets, all of the Old Testament looks forward to this wonderful event on Calvary. And then, and then after this, from his resurrection, the book of Acts comes and, and, and it looks backwards. It looks to the significance of that cross and the implications thereof. Of course, it will take all of eternity for us to fully comprehend what God did through Jesus Christ. But it is enough for us to just marvel and, and to, to really understand as much as we are able to the love of God. So we now turn to the events and its consequences from what happened on the cross to what was achieved by it. Historical accuracy, you see, is is one important thing. And and, and the Apostle John, when he wrote the Gospel, he, he really he really highlighted this because he said, I, I want you to understand that what I'm telling you is true. I was there, in other words. But historical accuracy is, is, is an important thing, but there is no, even though it might be historically true, a lot of things don't have eternal significance. So we could say that the birth, the life and death of Jesus uh, if you just treated it as, as a historical event, it would be no more important than, say, uh, the life of Napoleon or, or Gandhi or anybody else. It is because our lives, however, has been eternally bound to the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus that we have a new appreciation, a deeper understanding that through the Holy Spirit he has revealed truth to us. Now this Good Friday, I want to share with you four crucial images of the cross. And these images of the cross then become four pictures of our salvation. Now for my message, I'm uh, in part indebted to to a chapter in, in a great book. It's a very important book that was written by John Stott called The Cross of Christ and I, and I highly recommend for you to, to read this book. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But before we go into it, I, I just want to say something about my own uh, background. Back in, uh, back in my country of birth in Paraguay, 
One of the things I have fond memories of as, as I was growing up was travelling during Easter to our ancestral town and spending a few days there with the rest of the extended family. It was a special place because it was all there. It was the, the sound of joy, of, of laughter, the taste and the smell of the traditional dishes that were, were, that were cooked by, by the aunts. Then there are the people, the faces of my, my cousins, my uncles and aunts, many of whom are in glory now. And part of the rich tradition was, of course, going to church where my dad was once the pastor. It was also important, part of us going there was visiting the ancestral home where the the gospel was central to our family and then from there we would go to the the cemetery where, where my maternal grandmother and grandfather were buried. Now this Easter period will be different everywhere. It all around the world seems that nobody is immune from it. So a lot of the things that we were once able to do, gather together with family and friends, we had to suspend those. But it just creates a longing, doesn't it, for, for us to be able to do that once more. Because the images of our childhood, of our youth, and even our adulthood, we, we look back and see these things as being very special to us, very important. Now, in my own quieter moments, I do travel down memory lane and just, I'm just thankful for those experiences which uh, shape and deeply enrich me. Now, some of the images that uh, we'll be sharing this morning are based on a, a trip uh, a couple of years ago with, uh, with my daughter to Israel, Jordan and also to, to Africa. And there is, a, there is a significance to each of these images because you look at them and they go according to the points that I'll be sharing this morning. But there were also places that had a significance when we visited them. So this morning we will briefly look at different words which elicit distinct images and take us to different locations. And most of these are words that we should be familiar with. In God's mercy, these should continue to enrich our understanding of what we are remembering this day as we ponder Jesus' death on the cross. And with each image, there is a progression as the impact of the cross becomes not only intellectually enriching, but intensely personal as well. Even more, in the context of the current crisis, we, we draw the living water from the deep wells of our salvation so that it sustains us. So the first word, the first image is from the cross is the word propitiation. And this is the text from 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 from the ESV. And this is love, 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now for this first image we go to the temple and the rituals of the sacrifice. That image there was taken from uh, uh, Beersheba in the land of, of Israel and it is an ancient altar that is standing there and tells you about some of the, the sacrifices. Just think about some of the sacrifices that were, were laid on this altar. Now in the past... The word propitiation was better known than it is today. To propitiate somebody means to appease or to pacify their anger. So who is angry? God. And there are many references in the Bible about God's anger. And it is not, it is not just in the Old Testament. But please understand that God's anger is very different to ours. It is not unpredictable. It is not unjust and it is not irrational. God's anger is just, it is measured, it is predictable in the sense that he even warns us about it beforehand. It is also consistently provoked by one thing and it is the sin and evil of mankind. So the reason why propitiation is necessary is because sin arouses the wrath of God. You still don't believe me? Just look around. Now given the reality of God's anger, who then makes the propitiation? Now in pagan religions, the the individual or, or, or the nation seeks to avert divine anger by various and continual rituals and sacrifices. But the gospel tells us that there is ultimately nothing we can do or say or offer to turn away God's anger because of our sins. So this is why the initiative had to be taken by God himself in his tender mercy and love and grace. He is the one that did something about it. And this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Famous words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God took the initiative. Now please understand this as well, that God does not, does not love us because Christ died for us. No, Christ died for us because God loved us. It is God's wrath which needed to be propitiated and it is God's love which did the propitiating. And the person God offered for sacrifice was not a fruit or an animal or some other thing outside of himself. No, in giving his son, he was giving himself in love on the cross. So that is our first image this morning. A lot to think about, isn't there? Now we move to the second one, which is redemption. Redemption. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. What a verse that is. The setting now changes. We move from the the ceremonial to the commercial and this obviously brings us a new image. So we, we move from the temple courts, the sacrificial system, to the marketplace and the transactions that happen there. To redeem something is to buy or to buy it back, to regain ownership of something that you lost because of unfavourable circumstances. Of course, here redemption does not refer to buying back your Rolex because, uh, because you had to pawn it, you were short of cash and you had to take it to the pawnbroker and so you come up, once you come up with the money, then you go and, and redeem it. No, it refers to the human plight from which we cannot free ourselves. We are slaves to sin. So on the cross, Christ paid the price for our redemption. Jesus bought us with his blood and now we belong to him. Just like, just like I said, uh, just over two years ago, uh, over a number of weeks, we had the privilege, uh, my daughter and I, to travel through different countries in, in Israel, Jordan and, and Africa. And one of the more deeply moving experiences happened in a cathedral and its gardens in a historic place called Stonetown, which is in, in Zanzibar. Zanzibar is a, is a beautiful paradise island off the coast of Tanzania. Now, the Christchurch Cathedral sits on the site of what was formerly the largest slave market in East Africa, and it ran for quite a number of years. So, the just Take your mind there and, and you think about the, the beautiful surroundings, the blue water of this, this beautiful island, but then you take into this place and just see what, what happened, the, the injustice, the suffering, the, the atrocities committed against these African slaves and you say, wow, how could that be possible that humanity could bring itself that low? You are deeply impacted as you walk through the dungeons where the, the slaves were, were brought from the mainland. They were packed like sardines in, uh, in these dungeons. And those who survived were then taken up, strung to a pole and then auctioned like animals. And then one enters the Anglican Cathedral, where the names of godly men who fought this evil trade are written on the walls. And the designers of this cathedral wanted to show through a physical symbol how the gospel breaks the chains of slavery. No longer would the location be a place of evil deeds and horrible atrocities but it is a place that now would embody God's grace. 
And Jesus changes everything. It was God's mercy that moved men like Livingston and others to end, to bring together and to end the emancipation, the liberation of the horrendous slave trade. And Jesus' death on the cross goes more than that. Not just a physical difference which is important, but there is another issue which is even more important than that. Because the only avenue to save us from our sins, the only way possible for us to be free from the slavery to sin is provided by Jesus on the cross. And this is why the Apostle Paul speaks of of this important issue in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.7, the verse that we read, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Jesus buys back a person from a life of slavery to sin and wrongdoing and then he redeems us, he calls us his own. And from that point on, we are forever his because we, we have been bought, not, it didn't cost him nothing. He paid it all on the cross. We have been bought at a price so that we be freed from sin. Our next image is the word justification and it comes from Romans chapter 3 verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here is a connection to our previous image. So we move from the temple courts to the marketplace and now we move to the courtroom where justice is administered. And the the image I have there is of a place we we visited in, in Jordan called Petra, and uh, Jordan is a, in, in Petra is a very special place because it's all embedded in, in the rocks. And that is the, the ancient courthouse in that community in Petra, or what it remains of it now. So this word justification, what has that got to do with justice? Obviously justification is a big word in the Bible and uh, certainly... It was a big word during the Reformation. What what justification does is that it bestows on us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God a righteous standing before God. When God justifies sinners, he is not declaring bad people to be good. No. Or or he's not saying that they they aren't sinners after all. No, when God freely justifies us, he pronounces us to be legally righteous, free from any liability to God's laws that we have broken. How is this possible? It is made possible by Jesus' death on the cross when he himself, in his son, bore the penalty for the laws 
that we broke. Wonderful thing is that once we confess him by faith, our own record is wiped clean and replaced by his own perfect, clean record which becomes ours. Those of you who have travelled overseas will understand that sometimes uh, it is an arduous process to obtain a, a visa to enter certain foreign countries. And as you apply, you will, you will discover that uh, with most countries there is a, a cost involved. But more than that, there is also a form that needs to be filled. A, a de- it is a legal declaration you have to make. They are interested, the authorities are interested about any criminal conviction that you might have had. And if you lie, you're going to get into trouble. And if you tell the truth, you might not be able to get in. So a lot of people are, do try and do the dodgy, but uh, trust me, they know more about you than what you actually, before even you declare on your, that piece of paper. So it's always best to be honest. You see, there is an even more important issue here at stake. None of us will be able to enter heaven based on our record. I know that many of us say, well, I've done nothing wrong. I haven't killed anybody, as if killing somebody is the only sin that you could possibly commit. We have all sinned. That's a fact. That's the truth. And it's the only way that we will enter, we will gain entry into heaven the only way that we will have our, our passport, our, our, our entry into heaven is if we have a visa stamped in the blood of Jesus. Only then can we spend eternity with him. That is justification. Fourthly and lastly, Reconciliation. We go to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So this is, this is the fourth image of the cross, which illustrates for us something else that Christ actually achieved for all eternity. We started at the temple, we moved to the marketplace, we visited the court and finally we come home to a familiar place with family and friends. So in this last image we, uh, we come to something a lot more personal and I suppose in some ways it like I told you the story of my, my background. You, you go there, that family environment of a home. Now this is the most popular image, I think, of all four because it touches us um, deeply in our own personal experience. Having said that, being personal doesn't necessarily mean easy or happy. For many of us, our Family environment can bring happy, wonderful memories. 
For others, they are not so happy ones, rather painful as a result of abuse or conflict or just a chaotic environment in which you have been brought up. And I'm sorry if that's, that could be part of your background. And as a result of this, many carry deep emotional scars and have become estranged and alienated. And, and even the personal experience in their house or their home, in their upbringing, they reflect that and say, well, if my father was like that or, or my parents were like that, now our Heavenly Father is the same. No, our Heavenly Father is very different to that. And also understand that reconciliation is the opposite to alienation. Alienation pushes us further out into isolation. There's a current word, isn't it? Reconciliation, however, brings us closer together. To reconcile means to restore a relationship, to renew a friendship. And this word reconciliation in the biblical context means bringing God and man together. And this is the relationship that has suffered the most from our fall back in the garden. The broken relationship was, which has been recovered by Christ on the cross. Reconciliation therefore means peace with God. The thing is that reconciliation is more than just a temporary truce. Because sometimes we, we, we tend to uh, bring those things together, but there is more than that. But let, me, let me explain. General MacArthur once said, a truce just says you don't shoot for a while. But peace comes when the truth is known, the issue is settled, and the parties embrace each other. That is peace. It also means, it also means an access to a heavenly father. Where once all we could see was God's anger toward us, his enemies, through Jesus we have been forgiven. A word of caution here because one can be forgiven and still not be reconciled. For example, uh, the, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was imprisoned during the Second World War, he forgave his Nazi guards, but he was never reconciled to them. It wasn't his fault. They would have nothing to do with him. And then he was executed. But through Jesus, not only do we have forgiveness, but we also have restoration with the Father, with all the eternal privileges with all the inheritance that that entails. Another important point is that we need to be reconciled to God before we are reconciled to each other. Because you see, reconciliation has a, a vertical dimension, us and God, as well as a horizontal dimension. We definitely don't want to be like the servant in, in Jesus' parable who, who was forgiven a million bucks by his boss and then goes home and, and bashes his own servant because he owes him $10. Are we like that sometimes? Think about it. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what the Apostle Paul says in verses 18 to 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and, and gave us the ministry. He reconciled us first and then gave us a ministry. He gave us a task. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciled the world in himself, in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So this morning, as, I have, as we have travelled through these different places, these different images, we have looked at, at and emphasises the saving initiative that was taken by God in his love. It is he who propitiated his own wrath. It is he who redeemed us from bondage. It is he who has declared us righteous in his sight. And it is he who has reconciled us to himself. The more we ponder on this, the more that we reflect on it, it, it should inspire us to greater service, to greater love and to greater worship for the one who gave it all for you and me. May God bless you this Good Friday. And it is Good Friday because Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and me. Amen.